You're listening to the UAE's number one talk radio station. This is The Agenda. On Dubai Eye 103.8. Thanks for happening upon The Agenda podcast. Uh, thank you very much indeed. Hope you enjoy the show. Uh, this is the best bits from Friday, March the 1st. First of the month and a feel-good Friday. That's how we kicked things off. Uh, There was method behind our madness today. Um, We're sort of uh, calling this uh, the last weekend before Ramadan 2024. Last weekend when hoteliers, organisers, events uh, all go to town uh, before the holy month of Ramadan, a month of reflection uh, and a quietening down on a number of events around the city in honour of that. So as part of our Feel Good Friday, rather than just go headfirst into the weekend. We thought we'd proffer you and tend to use some good advice. I did that with the help of a three-time Olympian, a three-time winter Olympian, a former British champion speed skater, but also more recently the co-founder of Raw Fitness, well-known brand over in the UK, specifically London, but has moved to Dubai within uh, well, just over a year ago and winning rave reviews here. Sarah Lindsay was kind enough to come into the studio and to talk about all things feel-good factors to dispel a few uh, of the myths, some of the fact and fiction around Feel Good, but also to look at the growth of the app. Look, whether it be health, whether it be nutrition, whether it be wellness, whatever uh, it might be out there, there's always an answer by way of app or social media. But is that advice that you can rely on? Uh, One thing that might be good for one person surely isn't good for another. So can we do away with face-to-face human interaction when it comes to our health, our fitness, our wellness? Uh, Can we rely specifically on apps? Good conversation to kick off the weekend. Uh, Also, got Sarah's thoughts on, uh, well, how to prepare yourself for a big weekend at the races. Why? Because the Emirates Super Saturday taking place this weekend, we did catch up with His Excellency Dr. Mohammed Essa Al-Adhab, who is the MD down at DRC, the Dubai Racing Club, who organised uh, the racing calendar here. Looked ahead to what is going to be a big weekend. Basically, Emirates Super Saturday is, if you like, a dress rehearsal for the Dubai World Cup later on in the month. So we got uh, his thoughts on that one. Also got some sage style advice from Ruth Bradley, the founder of Ruth Bradley Consulting. Chris McCarty painted a picture as well, reminding us that it's not just all about the horse racing this weekend here in the UAE or further afield. Plus, we cast our eyes to the sky. How do you recruit an astronaut? A discussion and a question that we put to Salem Al-Mari of the Mohammed bin Rashid Space Centre. It's been a year since Sultan al Niadi launched into space on his way to the International Space Station. All good and well, the achievements have been recognised and praised, but has it set a platform for the future? Are we seeing the astronauts of the future being influenced by these actions? Uh, And to get involved not just in being an astronaut, but in uh, space exploration as a whole. Plus, education, education, education. And one of the age-old questions in that sphere is, is single-sex school education better than co-education? This has been brought to light by the fact that an historic Australian school's decision to go co-ed has brought the issue of single-sex education back into the spotlight. Uh, Is it in decline? Is it a thing of the past or the way forward for improving gender equality? And... We thought we'd go double whammy, not just education, 
Talk traffic as well. Uh, why? New research out finding that uh, distracted driving is the number one misbehaviour leading to deaths on the roads of the UAE. So how do we tackle it? A question we put to Road Safety UAE's Thomas Edelman. All that and more right here on the Agenda podcast. Oi, oi, welcome to the agenda. That's right, uh, not my normal stomping ground, but Georgia are away, so Tom, in at the end of the week on the agenda. Let's see if I can break things over the course of the next three hours or so. Uh, why? Because it's a pretty significant weekend, isn't it? It's a biggie. Uh, it is the last weekend before Ramadan. I was out and about uh, yesterday evening at uh, another event uh, and talking to a number of hoteliers, and they were saying that uh, bookings for this weekend for uh, brunches, for the hotel, for other activities are through the roof. Why? Because it's become something of a tradition, hasn't it, the last weekend before Ramadan. Traditionally, uh, a number of uh, hotels will, of course, either stop uh, or tone down their celebrations and their brunches. Uh, There's also plenty of events going on around town as well as people head out uh, to concerts, to parties, uh, to some big events as well before the reflective mode uh, in respect of the holy month kicks in towards the end of next week. So with that in mind, we wanted to take an hour this morning to not only give you a heads up for some of the big events around town, but also prepare you for them with what we're going to call today our Feel Good Friday special. Let's put you in the right mindset if we can. We're going to guide you on how to feel great for the whole of the weekend, answer some of those health woes, those wellness worries, if you want, and dispel a few good, a few of the feel good fact fictions and myths out there. First up, we're talking fitness apps. We're talking health apps. We're talking nutrition apps. We're just talking apps in general. Uh, Do apps give you abs? We're asking that question in just a few moments' time. I want to hear from you. Do you look online for health and fitness advice? Get in touch with us now. Text messages on 4001. You can also download the RM Play app. You can call us on 04871 Is this how your workouts tend to begin you have the best personal trainers in the world all in one app it is so hard to choose what plan to pick i feel it every single day i love every single training style and every single coach but there is a way to find the exact plan perfect for you let me show you So that's the way that it kicks off for a number of people. They're big business. Uh, The Zaps Global Mobile Health App Market is projected to reach 111 billion by 2025. But trainers say it's also creating new dangers as more and more of us look to our phones for health and fitness advice that may or may not be right for us. Here's another example. Am I really working hard enough? Am I doing myself a disservice right now? Being on my phone for too long between these sets and doing a half-hearted set. Be involved, man. Be true to yourself. Want more for yourself. Want the best for yourself. Be hard on yourself when it comes to training. Nah, I could do better. Nah, I I could lift more. Ah, my form could be better. But you have to do this. You just need that zeal. You need that energy. And that has to come from you. Try harder, lift more. Is that good advice? But could well do others an injury. So just how much should we trust in the health app, uh, the fitness app, the wellness app in general? Jen? Uh, are you a user of the app? I'm not. I should be, but I'm not. I moved into a new apartment last summer. It's got a gym in it. I had all of the very best intentions. I have spent precisely 30 seconds walking through it when I was given a tour of the premises. That's it. 
Uh, so not app-based, no? I keep thinking I will download something, I will go in there, I will get in amongst the free weights, I will do what I'm supposed to do, and then I don't. I get home, I but do, do my work, I finish apps, work. Do you use apps for advice or not? No. I, I keep thinking I should download them, I should follow them, but I don't. And I did used to have a few health apps, but then there was so much kind of bad publicity about them tracking you, about the privacy issues that I sort of downloaded, deleted everything that I downloaded, essentially. So I don't really use them at all. Well, let's seek some professional advice on this one. Uh, we are joined in studio uh, by a personal trainer like no other. A three-time Olympian, no less. A European gold medalist, two-time world silver medalist, ten-time British speed skating champion. An inspiration both uh, during her professional career and since as well, once she hung up the skates, she turned her attention to becoming one of the UK's most sought-after personal trainers. And that, if that weren't eight enough, she then set up a business alongside her husband, uh, which has ruled the roost over in the UK and for the best part of the, uh, for over a year now uh, here in the UAE as well. Setting up in Dubai at the beginning of last year, uh, she is the co-founder of Raw Fitness, Sarah Lindsay, joining us live in studio. Sarah Good to see you as always. Good morning. Thank you. Feel good Friday? Yeah, always. Friday, best day of the week. Is it really? I think so. Yeah? Yeah. Who doesn't love the weekend? Who doesn't love the weekend? Why are you questioning that? It's just because I I think we could probably go into Friday thinking it's the best day of the week and then things could go rapidly downhill the longer the days goes on. That can also happen. Uh, great of you to join us here as well. You were listening on intently, so that's a little setup with regards to uh, the app explosion at the moment. And I mean, before we get into the apps, I suppose one thing that I noticed when looking into this show was the definitions at the moment. You know, you know me. I'm a little bit old school as well. But and you know, when I when I was growing up, it was all about fitness you know did a bit of fitness if you if you if you if you moved more and ate less then probably you'd feel a bit better but fitness would put you in the right frame of mind fitness then became a healthier lifestyle then of course we had balance thrown into the mix now wellness is exploding as well are we sort of blurring the lines as to what it is is is, is fitness wellness or are they completely different no of course they 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 go together right um I think we like to confuse things. We like to make things difficult for ourselves. And sometimes, you know, we do need to just bring it back to basics and look at what we're doing and don't overcomplicate things. And I mean, talking about apps, that can do that. You know, you sort of hop from one app to the next, trying to find the answer or trying to find the right information. And there's probably a bit of good information on all of them, but trying to find them all in the same place and each area to be really done properly on one app is quite difficult, I think. In terms of where do you where do you sit with apps at the moment? Because there is no doubting. We look at the statistics. You look at the predictions from uh, various sources around the world. Everyone predicting the fact that it doesn't matter whether it's a wellness app, a health app, a nutrition app. At the moment, uh, the business is booming at the moment. But do we trust them too much? I think they come and go really quickly. Actually, most apps um, and. You do have to take the information with with a pinch of salt as well, I think. Um, The information can be flawed. So you don't want to rely on it solely. And I think, but if it, 
keeps you motivated and um, you know makes you look at what you're doing and makes you more mindful and helps you track information and that kind of thing, then that's got to be a positive thing or it'll help you towards your goals. Because the one thing that sort of strikes me at the moment is there seems to be an app for it. I mean, there's an app for that, isn't there? There is an app for everything out there. And again, maybe there's a bit of a generation game here, but even that, you know, it seems to be uh, picked up by, by those of all ages and all backgrounds and all persuasions at the moment. But, you know, whether it's the number of steps you're taking, the amount the amount and the sort of sleep you're getting, um, the nutrition you're getting, um, the number of books you're reading. and what you want. There is an app for basically everything you are doing. But shouldn't we be just taking more personal responsibility for that? Well, that, that is it. We, you know, we love our phones. We spend our whole lives just attached to our phone. And I think you can get lost in that information a little bit. And you still have to do the work. You, know, you have to remember that just because you're talking about doing something or you're inputting something into an app doesn't mean you're actually doing anything. So you do have to get in the gym, lift the weights, do the work as well. Otherwise, nothing's going to happen to your body. You can't just trick yourself into getting in shape. Has it changed... You're, I was trying to get through the show without mentioning the COVID pandemic, but everyone, <laughs> every time you look at the research into this and they say that COVID changed the landscape, etc., in terms of the way that we use apps and whether people want to be, you know, in group classes or not, etc. But, but, but has, has the technology in fitness, be that nutrition, be that health, be that uh, fitness as otherwise, the apps that are being developed, has that changed your business and the way that you do your business? No, it won't. Ch- it'll never change our business because um, I think we really do come back to basics and you know how to really change your body and not to get caught up with all the new fads or whatever the new craze is and not to get derailed by those things and you know what we do works we know we're confident in what we do and we're confident and you can see the results that that we get so it's you know it's easy to try and keep everyone happy and be popular and say the the right things but really the truth comes down to the fact that you have to like i've said you have to do the work given the fact that you know, there are so many people, let's take TikTok, for example, but I'm talking social media in general. Is there a risk that you can find the answers that you're looking for when it comes to social media, not just social media, but apps in general at the moment? You know, if you're looking, you're looking for an answer to, to solve a fitness or a health problem, etc., which might not be the answer that you need, but you'll find it on a platform like that, is that a pitfall that you need to avoid? Of course, I think that's very natural. That happens all the time. People will latch on to whatever thing suits them or what they think suits them or what they like to do. It's the same as, you know, if you go into the gym by yourself, for example, if I go to the gym by myself, I will do um, the, the exercises I like doing, the things that I'm good at and the things that, you know, I feel good about doing. But if I train with, so I also have a trainer and if I train with, with my trainer, then he, I just do whatever he tells me to do. And there's lots of things in there that I'd rather not do. And if I was doing it by myself, I would change those exercises um, to the ones that I like. So I think that is a very normal thing. You think, oh, that person said the thing that I like, so I'll go and I'll go and do that. But it's probably the thing you've always done that hasn't necessarily been working. So, yeah, it is difficult, and there is so much information out there. You turn the page, and it's the opposite of what you read on the page before. So, how are you supposed to know what to do? But I think, you know, with social media and, and apps as well, it's just not taking every word as gospel. You have to do your own research and see how you know how credible are the people that you're that you're listening to as well. How educated are they? What are their credentials? What have they done? And what have they achieved? And um, yeah, you do have to use your brain a little bit and just not expect brain? it to be. Brain? I know. Well, I think just looking at the phone just makes you a little bit dead sometimes. You just don't, you just stop thinking. 
it's the same even with, you know, the news, for example. You'll just see someone say something on TikTok and you just repeat that like it's the truth. And it's like that person was just making up rubbish. You know, that wasn't that wasn't real information. It's fake news or whatever. But that is what we do. We just look at these tiny little clips and sound bites and we take that as real knowledge and then say it again. And it's like Chinese whispers. Uh, we are in conversation with Sarah Lindsay, uh, the co-founder of Raw Fitness, three-time Olympian. We are taking sage advice this morning. Uh, we have just opened uh, the, uh, the, ca- the, the can of worms that is TikTok. More on that next. You're listening to the UAE's number one talk radio station. This is The Agenda. On Dubai Eye 103.8. It is the agenda. Tom Urquhart in on the agenda. My special guest in this first hour is the three-time Olympian co-founder of Raw Fitness. We're a year, over a year in to the Raw, uh, Raw International expansion as well. How's, 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 how's the first year of business been for Raw? It's been good. It's been really good. Um, it's a slightly slower climb, actually, than London. I think our, you know, our brand is well recognised in London, yeah. so it's, it's kind of easy. Um, the last one in London we opened, we were pretty much fully booked in a couple of months. So, um, But I didn't expect that over here. Obviously, we went in cold, didn't really know anybody. Um, but yes, it's built really nicely. We've got amazing clients um, and everybody brings somebody. So it really creates that community. Um, 2024 looking good? Yeah, I think so. Pipeline. We've got some. Well, we want. We've got some numbers that we we want to hit. Um, but we're always looking at the next gym. So always looking at the next location. And we've got a couple, uh, a couple of ideas in mind. Um, and I want to do another one here. And then I think we're looking at Singapore as well. Next. Watch, Why not? Watch this space. Yeah, watch this space. Uh, right, let's turn our attention back to the talkers. A lot of people getting in touch with us uh, with regards to uh, their uh, fitness woes at the moment. With good reason. Uh, we've got the, what do we call it? The goddess of goodness with us here at the moment in the I studio. Like that one. You take that? Yeah. yeah. We've got the very own Raw Fitness Girl uh, here to uh, give us her thoughts on all things wellness apps as well. The wellness app um, industry is predicted to go to three. Sorry, seven trillion by the three trillion, I should say, by the end of 2025. Extraordinary numbers being predicted there, and then you break it down, and it's the same for nutrition apps, it's the same for fitness apps, it's the same for health apps as well. But beyond the apps, we're also seeing the rise, rising influence of fitness influencers, not just using apps, but using social media. The question is, are they changing the way we view health and fitness? That we uh, embrace health and fitness at the moment. What does it mean for our body image? Here's just a little flavor of what you might find online. I have a question for you guys. If you're someone that's experienced in the gym and you hit a slump, what do you do? Because let's be real, it happens to all of us. Then stay tuned. I have a solution that may just work for you. Do you want it or not? I know things aren't that simple as if, you know, because they want it, they're going to go get it and they're going to do everything that's needed. But genuinely, do you want it or not? Because if you do want it, Let's start. Question. Uh, and I put this, A, with your, um, your, your, your PT hat on, your fitness instructor hat on, but B, as an entrepreneur and a business owner hat as well. How do you manage when, when, when your business is such a face-to-face, personal business about changing people's lives, etc., and yet you've got the onset, onset of online, and we've seen how much that works well, and you've got to marry a business that has great online content and great online presence with getting people into the gym as well. Is that a fine line, a fine balance at the moment? Well, I think they're, I mean, they're two different things, aren't they? I think you can't replace in-person personal training. 
Um, so I'm, I mean, I'm not worried about, you know, the, the growth of the online side of things. And not everybody can get to us. You know, you have to be, you have to be near enough to come train with us. So um, I think you just have to find whatever works for you, to be honest. Anything that, you know, will get you out of bed and get you motivated and get you to, to go to the gym and do the work is all fine by me. We are looking at some of the trends out there at the moment. A lot of people are texting in on this one this morning, and we encourage you to do that. You can text us on 4001. You can WhatsApp on 04871 Here's just a little flavour of some of the comments coming through at the moment. Uh, I thought that Joe, Wir- uh, Joe Wicks has never heard of him. Uh, Joe Wicks's workouts were great throughout COVID, and I did them daily, says one of our listeners. Uh, I now do wall pilates, but as I've had uh, a couple of hip replacements, I don't do all the exercises. Afterwards, I'm going to do chair yoga as well. Uh, my theory, it's just good to stretch your body. That's from Finn as well. And I suppose, again, therein lies one of the sort of good usages of apps, social media in general, is that it can get inspired. Um, I suppose when I look at it from, from, from my perspective is you just don't want to go all in and trust and throw all your 100% trust in there. Surely you've got to take professional opinion at some point. Yeah, of course, you should. And like I said, you know, check the credentials of the people that you're following. Um, and think about it for yourself. You know, every, these, these things are designed to work for everybody or as many people as possible and not for just one person and definitely not just for you. So take what works, take, you know, what makes sense to you and, you know, possibly look around and see what else is out there and then put that together yourself. But if it sparks that, you know, that thought and you start thinking about, you know, your health and fitness and wellness and everything, then that can only be positive. Let's talk trends if we can. Um, You mentioned TikTok a little bit earlier on. And listen, when it comes to TikTok and the the information uh, highway out there at the moment, the impact they are having on skincare, on fitness, on uh, nutrition, on healthcare, uh, even medical as well. Uh, A lot of reports coming through about the impact uh, that uh, activity on TikTok is having on the way that people uh, plan their lives as well. Um, And just looking at the plant-based, thing plant base uh, was was shared and liked the, the phrase was shared and liked over a billion times last year on tiktok that has created uh, not just a trend it's created a market surge in plant-based products around the world um are we relying on tiktok too much at the moment is there too much influence coming out of and this is not me having a pop at tiktok it is a great resource and uh, you know many people out there are using it to, to great effect but are people are people putting too much trust in it and could that could that have a sort of detrimental effect on your lifestyle i mean i think putting your trust in tiktok is kind of silly um but I think TikTok is a source of entertainment more than anything else. I know there's some there's some information in there, um, but I think it's you know it's designed. It's kind of clickbait, isn't it? It's designed to just give you as much information or to you know grab your attention within a few seconds, which is actually the reason I haven't done it or the reason I know that it's you know it's evolving and people are doing longer videos and stuff now. But I just thought. When it first came out and when I first tried to sort of start doing it, how much useful information can I give somebody in just a few seconds? And it was just watering it down so much Mm. so that it was just something that made people watch. I'm like, hang on a minute. I'm actually just, it's just attention seeking more than actually trying to help people. I was using it to try and direct people to Instagram where I felt like I could give more. But 
you know, as somebody trying to deliver information, I found it really, really difficult, actually. But for somebody who's worked in this field all your life, you know, after your professional career, you turn your attention to this, you bring a wealth of knowledge. And people pay for that. You know, they, people, they pay for consultations. They, they pay for that, 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 that great advice as well. Surely on TikTok, you're just giving away that advice for free. And isn't it therefore, I, I don't get the model. Well, I mean, what we do, for example, is one-to-one. Right. So you're giving people very personal information. You're finding out as much information as you can about the person so that you can give them the right advice. Like I was saying, there's no off the shelf plan, whether it's Mm. training or nutrition, that that is designed to work for everybody. And you want it to work just for you and you're different from everybody else. So I think it's, you know, looking at nutrition or or training in that way isn't isn't particularly great. So it does need to be personalised and it does need to be individual. So I think, again, you just have to take it with a pinch of salt and know that it's just little snippets that it might, you know, spark something for you to, you know, read further or create some interest for you to make you do your own research. But like I said, don't just take, you know, one line from Instagram and apply it to yourself and consider that gospel. Mm. We've all heard of the Bank of Mum and Dad. Uh, the tech, TikTok Medical Consultation Room, that's a whole new show altogether as well, and one that uh, um, we, well, I certainly haven't got my doctor's degree just yet, uh, so we can uh, open that kind of worms a little later on. In the meantime, though, we're off to the races in a few moments' time. Uh, Sarah is going to proffer us some advice to get ready for the races for this part of our Feel Good Friday this morning. We're going to be finding out uh, what to expect down at Maidan and other big events in just a few moments' time. This is The Agenda. On Dubai Eye 103.8, the UAE's number one talk radio station. Still to come on the show, we are talking all things. How do you recruit an astronaut? No, genuinely, we are. It's on the script here. We're doing that in the next hour. Um, So fancy being an astronaut, want to be recruited? We will give you a little heads up with the team uh, from the Mohammed bin Rashid Space Centre a little later in proceedings. Uh, Also talking education, also talking traffic. That's going to get people talking. Uh, Still in conversation uh, with uh, the three-time Olympian and co-founder of Raw Fitness uh, here in the UAE, here in Dubai, uh, but also back in the UK as well. Sarah Lindsay is alongside us uh, as part of our Feel Good Friday vibe at the moment. Do you still ban- still stand by your theory that Friday is the best day of the week, yeah? Yeah, I think so. Not the weekend? Well, it's everybody getting ready for the weekend. The weekend starts at like midday, doesn't it, on Friday? That's right, for yeah. most people. There is a bit of a buzz, isn't there, on a Friday? I think so. It's like the anticipation. It's a little bit of a Friday up. frisson, isn't there? Exactly. Yeah. You, start, <laughs> you play a bit more music on a Friday and things like that. And this is a big one. Why? Because um, it's nominally the last weekend before Ramadan. And for anybody that's been here for a while, you'll know... That's a big weekend. Loads going on. Last brunches before Ramadan. Uh, you've got a number of big gigs, a number of big concerts before. Things are, of course, uh, uh, either postponed for four weeks or, of course, turned down a little. Uh, no shortage of big events to look forward to on our doorstep here when it comes to sporting events. Some one man who's not going to hit is going to hit the floor running and probably not touch the floor throughout the course of the weekend is Chris McCarty, who's been kind enough to join us live on the line this morning. Good morning, McDanger. Good morning to you, Mr. Ruckert. Some big sports events in town this weekend. Yeah, it certainly is. You and I are splitting our days, aren't we? You are down at Maidan Racecourse. You've got Super Saturday, nine races on the race card from 3.30. And then I will be down at the tennis. You've got the men's final tomorrow evening 
from 7 o'clock. Of course, two semi-finals to look forward to tonight. The two finalists from last year, Andrei Rublev, as well as the defending champion, Daniel Medvedev. He, of course, was beaten in the Australian Open final at the start of the year. Those fellas still in it. They're into the last four. You'd be a brave man or woman to bet against them from reaching tomorrow evening's final. So, yes, it's a busy weekend. I ain't complaining. As you well know, Tom, I love my sport. We're going to be busy boys over the course of the next 48 hours or so. Talk to me about the broadcast responsibilities down at the tennis over the next couple of days. Semi-finals today, is that right? Yeah, exactly that. So off script, uh, myself, uh, Robbie and Sona will be live with you from five o'clock today as usual, all the way through till eight o'clock. That will see us through the first semi-final and we'll build up to the second semi-final. And then tomorrow... It's all hands on deck, Tom. I'm at Mr. Toad's for extra time at the weekend from four till seven. Robbie will be in situ at the tennis from seven. I'll hop down there and join him from about 7.30. I know you're going to be dialing in live from Maidan Racecourse as well. So yes, tomorrow's going to be it's going to be breathless is what it is. There's obviously loads of football as well. We've got a weekend off from the rugby. Small matter of the Bahraini Grand Prix. The F1 season starts. Lest we forget, that's off at 7 o'clock tomorrow evening. A Saturday night race. So for anyone setting their alarms or whatever for Sunday, that won't work. It's a Saturday that race for Bahrain this weekend to kickstart the 2024 season. So yes, we're going to be across at all the football, the F1. There's cricket ongoing, as you well know, down under Australia taking on New Zealand. So yeah, we need eyes on the back of our heads this weekend, I think. Yep. Uh, thankfully, the Dubai I-103.8 team will be out and about keeping you updated on all of that. Uh, just finally, before we let you go, uh, Chris, um, quick word on the Paul Pogba situation. Obviously, that one breaking last night, four-year ban for the former Manchester Manchester United man. Is this the last we've heard of this one? Absolutely not, Tom. Yeah, sad news. I mean, no no real surprise. You may recall it was back on August 20th, the event is taking on Udinese, that Paul was initially flagged up as having failed a drugs test. The sample B went away, got checked. It also came back positive. So we've just been waiting for confirmation of this four-year ban. Paul himself has come out to say that he's sad, he's disheartened, and he will fight on. He's going to obviously launch an appeal on this. We were discussing it on last night's show. Without all of the information, I think Paul certainly feels that he's got a good case to push this. Will he sit out football? Will he be banned? Yes. Will it be the full four years? I must say, I've got my doubts on that, but there's no doubt today, Tom, that Paul Pogba's career that promised so much, and lest we forget on this, Paul Pogba is still a World Cup winner. He was a key man in the French side that won it back in 2018. The move Manchester back to Manchester United was a mitigating disaster. The return to Juventus was even worse. He can't get fit. He's got this now hanging over him. It's a sorry, sorry chapter in the career of Paul Pogba. It's going to rumble on. He will sit out a ban. It's just a matter of how long we wait to see what that appeal in the coming weeks, coming months it brings for Paul Pogba. But yeah, a, a sorry, sorry chapter, no matter the way that you look at it. Rest up that throw, big man, because you've got a big weekend ahead of you. Our thanks to Chris McCarty, our head of sports, joining us live on the line ahead of what promises to be a cracking weekend. Uh, OK, to that end, let's turn our attention to Super Saturday down at Maidan. What is that? It's basically a dress rehearsal for the Dubai World Cup. You going down there? Get in touch with us uh, on 4001. You can text us on that, or of course you can WhatsApp on 04871 One of the biggest events in the city's racing calendar, probably the second biggest 
biggest before the Dubai World Cup. Major moment in the run-up to the World Cup. But before we get into the details of the race itself, the big question, what should you wear? Obviously, I ain't the man to tell you. No, 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 no. Fashion and me parted ways a long time ago. But we have found someone who can. Ruth Bradley, PR Supremo behind Ruth Bradley Consulting. She's also one of the judges of the Style Stakes Super Saturday Special. Uh, she's in Paris. Uh, she will be back tomorrow for a judging responsibility. So I asked her, any style advice, uh, uh, Ruth, uh, to potential contestants looking to catch yours and the other judges? eyes this weekend at the last style stakes for fashion fridays as judges we had a really good trial run and we were absolutely unanimous on quite a few style do's and don'ts if you're going to enter the women's best dress for example think about the whole 360 we had many contestants that didn't even bother wearing a hat which i think is a really really big no-no on race day especially if you're going to enter a best dress competition it's the first thing that we look for as evelyn mcdermott the hat lady will definitely tell you one of my co-judges so all hatless women weren't considered at the last style stakes um and i'm i'm pretty sure that that will be the case moving forward men in trainers another really big racing etiquette faux pas there's a certain level of dress code that's absolutely expected on race day i really don't think it includes sneakers I personally don't mind a man without a tie if the overall look is super bespoke, very chic, well cut and classic. But my co-judge, Gary Sweeney, director of Ascots and Chapels, would probably disagree with me on that one. Uh, men in too tight or too short pants, another major no. Uh, for the ladies, I really generally don't like seeing too much flesh on race day. So ditch the strapless mini dress for just one day and really think about your environment. I absolutely love colour, so would always encourage everyone to have fun with this as you'll really stand out on the podium. Think about a cohesive look. You don't have to be matchy-matchy, obviously, but the overall look really, really has to gel. Um, the main piece of advice, though, is to just be yourself, be super unique, because ultimately we're looking for really unique sense of style and people that stand out. Great advice from Ruth Bradley. More from Ruth a little later on. What about some Sarah Lindsay advice? The Raw Fitness Girl in studio with us as well. Okay, so you haven't got three months to get race ready for Maidan tomorrow, but you've got well, just over 24 hours. Any advice that you can proffer, Sarah, for people to, you know, turn a few heads at the races tomorrow? What should they be doing in the next 24 hours? Are we really going back to the days of seven-minute abs, Tom? <laughs> Come on. Do they exist? In 24 hours. I think that was a video, right? Um, or just a joke in a film. But anyway, um, you know, you can't do anything for your body in such a short space of time but i do think you can top up like the health tank Mm. so that is something you should try and do for yourself i think is try and balance out the damage that you potentially are going to do uh over the weekend so you know go and do an extra training session maybe reduce the calories before you go so you've got some some extra to work with uh take your vitamins and your supplements and get plenty of sleep and hydration is massive as well make sure you drink loads of water use some electrolytes in there to help you absorb the minerals from that so good night's sleep on a friday night yeah that's my top bit of advice look after yourself before you go like i said just top up that health bank and make sure that you're going in in the healthiest position possible maybe some activated charcoal or something (laughs) beforehand to absorb some of those toxins more top advice from sarah more top advice from ruth more top advice coming your way as part of our feel good friday segment in just a few moments time 
This is The Agenda. On Dubai Eye 103.8, the UAE's number one talk radio station. This is The Agenda Live on Dubai I-103.8, Dubai I-103.8, part of ARN, the Arabian Radio Network, uh, uh, and proud to be media partners of uh, the Dubai uh, racing season, the international Dubai racing season, the spring carnival in full flow at the moment. In fact, coming towards the end of the season, one of the biggest days of racing in Dubai's horse racing calendar to look forward to tomorrow. It is Super Saturday, traditionally seen as a dress rehearsal for the World Cup. It's down at Maidan tomorrow and an absolute pleasure to be joined now live via Microsoft Teams by the General Manager of Dubai Racing Club who organised not just this event but all the racing calendar throughout the year. His Excellency Major General Dr Mohammed Issa Al-Adhab who joins us live on the line. Your Excellency, thanks so much indeed for your time this morning. Thank you very much for the interview. Good, very good morning. So busy season so far, coming to a head uh, in the next couple of weeks. But lest we not forget, festive Friday in December, Fashion Friday in January, uh, leading up to Super Saturday tomorrow, all uh, leading up to the Dubai World Cup. Uh, in your opinion, how's the season gone so far? Well, it's, uh, everything went uh, very well, especially uh, after we restructured our uh, racing season. And uh, we're going towards one of our, uh, uh, the final feature races, which is Emirates uh, Super Saturday. Uh, always we take uh, Emirates uh, Super Saturday as in a, a small Dubai World Cup. And uh, we are getting uh, a huge uh, parallel events going with the racing. So we have the Ruffles, we have the Big Seven, we have the, the fashion competition. We have a huge uh, selection of the hospitality areas within Medan Grandstand. So, yes, we are expecting very, very uh, different uh, evening with us on Saturday. We're very much looking forward to uh, Emirates Super Saturday tomorrow. I mean, in your opinion, what sets it apart from other nights at the races? And what's so different this year? Uh, f- for Emirates Super Saturday, first of all, we, we, we think that... Uh, the support we will get it from Emirates Airline, uh, where they, we're getting it usually in all our and in our big events. But the Super Saturday was totally different for uh, Emirates to be a part uh, in this uh, in, in this event. So this is number one. Other than that, we have, uh, as I said, the raffle draw. We have the, the 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 pick seven competition, and also we have the selection of the hospitality, where all our guests can come and enjoy the evening till the end of the, the last race. Looking forward to, as we call it, the dress rehearsal ahead of the Dubai World Cup, which is at the end of March. All roads lead towards the Dubai World Cup. How are plans and logistics looking for the big one at the end of March? And how can people get their hands on tickets? Yes, uh, they, they can be, they, they, the ticket can be purchased through our online uh, ticketing system and also through the major uh, the, the stores, all all our tickets available online. It's much easier to be purchased. On top of this, the, the tickets will allow to to get the, the opportunity for the hospitality plus uh, getting and enjoying the racing on the night. And the message from Dubai Racing Club, come racing tomorrow afternoon into the evening down at Maidan? The message, yes, definitely will be uh, pleased. Uh, we, are, we are giving this message to all our uh, guests and all Dubai guests to be uh, enjoying one, one of our different evenings will be Emirates Super Saturday where we can enjoy the hospitality and enjoy the racing. 
Uh, your Excellency, thank you so much indeed for your time. I know it's a busy day for you ahead of Super Saturday, Emirates Super Saturday tomorrow. So our thanks to you, Your Excellency, His Excellency Major General Dr. Mohammed Essa Al Adab, who is the General Manager of Dubai Racing Club, the organisers and the hosts, uh, not just of the Dubai World Cup, but tomorrow's Emirates Super Saturday. See, Sarah Lindsay, they're calling it a Super Saturday, but we're on a full field with Friday as well. Uh, listen, uh, any final bits of advice from the Raw Fit? girl to feel good on a friday today what's what's your mantra on a day like this well it sounds like you're you're saying i'm encouraging people to make it a two-day situation and i'm not (laughs) because friday's my favorite day um but yeah i think i think you do just have to really do your best to look after yourself before and before and after the event you know just um just do everything that you can to to make yourself feel good feel healthy um and be ready for for the day Take advantage of the beautiful weather as well. I know. I know. Look at it out there. Weather could not be more perfect. Get out there, get moving, uh, get running, get walking. Yeah, why not? I'm big for that. I think... um, Fresh air. Yeah, absolutely. Really good for your mental health as well, obviously. Everybody's happier outside. Um, And it's something that people don't do in Dubai. People don't walk anywhere. The difference between... Actually, you saw that in lockdown, right? So in the UK in lockdown... People would maybe walk 10,000 steps a day just doing their normal commute. And then because everybody was in their houses and they'd spend sort of an hour outside walking, maybe getting seven, 8,000 steps and they thought they were exercising, um, but they're actually doing less activity than they normally do. And then since coming here, I look at people's phones and see how many steps they're doing in general. And it's far less because we taxi everywhere, um, you know, right up to the door. So we don't do a lot of walking. So we do have to consciously get out and get our steps and just get moving more. Sarah, can't thank you enough. Uh, I know it's a busy time for you. Listen, uh, people, uh, thanks very much indeed for all the lovely messages coming through as well. But if people want to find out more about Raw, more about the Raw Fitness Girl, where do they go? If they just Google Raw Fitness gyms or Raw Fitness uh, downtown, then you'll find us. And yeah, my Instagram's Raw Fitness Girl. Enjoy the weekend. Uh, it promises to be a cracking one. And thank you so much indeed for your time thanks for this having morning. Me. Great to have Sarah Lindsay joining us in the first hour. It's a Friday morning still. Uh, we are bridging the morning into the afternoon right here on the agenda. My name's Tom Urquhart. I'm in uh, for, of course, uh, George Tolley, who's away at the moment. Uh, and we're into the second hour of the show, right? Let's turn our attention now to space, if we may. And do you remember this? Five, four, three, two, one, zero. Ignition and liftoff. In Bosca El Lupo. Go Falcon, go Cosmo. That was the moment that the Falcon 9 mission made UAE history, carrying astronauts Sultan Al-Nayadi and Crew 6 to the International Space Station for a six-month mission. Tomorrow's, tomorrow, in fact, marks the one-year anniversary of said occasion. And in the 12 months since, the UAE hasn't been resting on its laurels. But that's what's, but what's next for the country's space ambitions? And what exactly was astronaut Haza Al-Mansouri, the UAE's first man in space, suggesting when he posted an Instagram picture a few days ago declaring, it could be you. Was he kicking off a space recruitment programme? What exactly would that involve? To find out, we're joined now uh, on Teams by the Director General, the DG of the Mohammed bin Rashid Space Centre, Salam Al-Mari. Salam, as always, good morning to you. 
Good morning, Tom, and thank you for having me. Oh, it's great to have you join us this Friday morning. Been a busy, busy old year for you already, just a couple of months in. Uh, tell us, first of all, if you can, what's been going on since, since that historic mission came to a close six months ago? Uh, yes, it's been, uh, as you said, uh, I would say that's been our busiest uh, year ever. Mm. So we had, uh, you know, uh, a launch uh, of an astronaut. We had a six-month duration mission. And then, of course, uh, we had the, the mission to the moon and everything that happened with there. Of course, you know, as we are, let's say, as we have Sultan in space and we're operating his mission and doing all the science and outreach, we are also working uh, on a government level planning, you know, what's next, what's happening after that. And that took us about a year and a half to kind of come to that announcement at the beginning of this year, which is that the UAE is joining the uh, uh, the Gateway program, joining Artemis. And, you know, now we are going to be one of the 14 countries that is going to be building part of the next uh, international space station that happens to be around the moon. So we're getting into those science fiction zones now where we're going to have people living and working on the surface of the moon and living around the moon. And the Emirates is going to be a big part of that. So I'm really excited uh, that we were able to kick that off at the beginning of the year. Obviously, you've had time now to have uh, a proper look at the data that's come back along with Sultan as well. Uh, how do you sort of, as we look back at that experience, what, what were the learnings we take away from Sultan's time in space? Oh, there's a lot. So, I mean... Uh, you know, when you look at these types of missions, I think you have to kind of uh, uh, categorize uh, the different benefits uh, into the different categories. So there's, of course, science. And science is long. You know, it's, uh, it's research. It's with the universities. It can be somebody's PhD graduation. It can be testing drugs, testing ways of manufacturing things, testing materials, material science. That can be, you know, anything from six months to 10 years of results to get to a conclusion. So there's a lot of science that was done. Some of it is UAE science and some of it is international science. Then there's another element, which is obviously the uh, the effect on humans' bodies. So every human is different. Every ethnicity is slightly different. Uh, how it affects our DNA, how it affects our, our teeth, how it affects our eyes, our ears, our muscles, our bones. Space actually, you know, living in an environment. It's not actually space doing that. It's the environment of zero gravity so or microgravity that's doing that to us because we're really not used to living in a floating environment where we don't have pressure on our joints and bones and muscles and ears and eyes etc so the effect of space is another element you know that you could look at that as science but that's human life science so there's a lot of data that we've come through on sultan himself uh, related to uae experiments uh, that we are working out with our universities here so there's a you know a lot of benefit i think to living in space and we're, we're still working on that and we'll probably still be working on that data for the next two years let's look to the future now if we can because an intriguing uh, almost cryptic post from astronaut Hazza al-mansouri recently uh, on instagram uh, that seemed to suggest the uae was looking to recruit some new space talent so over to you then to tell us what is the case what's behind this post Yes, I think I'm also intrigued. I got to ask Hazza. <laughs> I, I saw his post, and uh, you know what Hazza is talking about is that uh, definitely, you know, with our future missions, with us going to the moon, with the other potential missions to the ISS from now until 2030, uh, we have now uh, next week uh, Noura Al Matrushin and Mohammed Al Mulla graduating from their class, and of course, we as a program are always looking at 
what's next? And, you know, do we look at recruiting other people? So I think Hazard's uh, message is cryptic, but what he's really saying is get ready. Mm. We may open in the future. And if we do open, you have to be ready. You know, so if somebody thinks that they've got a PhD in astrophysics and, you know, they're going to be top of the pile, that's not the case because you need diving experience. You need flight yeah. experience. You need to be fit. You need to be physically fit, mentally fit. You need to, to be eating well. But you also need to have a lot of other skill sets that come together. So I think what Hazat's saying, and I, I echo that, is get ready. Mm. We may open. And if you're not ready, you'll miss out. So that's uh, really what we're talking about. Yeah, it is interesting, though, isn't it? And and, and you, like me, as, as many will have seen, that the, the successes of the UAE space programme, the successes uh, of other space programmes at the moment, uh, all the efforts of the Mohammed bin Rashid Space Centre really have uh, prompted uh, the younger generation, the youth of today, to consider uh, space as a career moving forward. Might not all become astronauts, but might well become those that put the astronauts into space as well. Is that something that you've seen and 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 to that end i know you've just touched on it with your last answer but are the skills wide and varied when it comes to a career in space yes definitely and uh, you know you uh, got to the, the exactly the point that i always want to mention is that sometimes you know you can only select three four five ten astronauts uh, but you can have 500 engineers mm. who help put those astronauts in space and you can have 600 analysts who analyze data uh, scientists who look at all of the science data and those things are very important. So we're all one team. We all work to the same goals. Uh, and of course, we've seen a huge interest. Astronauts are the rock stars, the superstars, and they bring that interest. But that really pushes other people to go into STEM and to go into space. Just yesterday, you know, we had a visit from one of the schools and I saw the kids. They were, I think, grade five. So they're probably about 10 years old. And uh, I love seeing kids there. You know, it's uh, uh, it's exciting when you, to see their eyes open when they see all these space elements. So I said, let's go have a look at our rocket. And we have a, a Falcon 9 model that we've just installed in the center. And, you know, the looks on their faces when they saw the size of that rocket, because it's a one-to-one -one, uh, uh, rocket, and the excitement. And then, of course, all their question was, you know, how can I build that? How can I get on that? How does it work? So a lot of them are very interested when they see those things. And that's really what it's about. If we can get them in a career in space, Eventually, they can help their country work in this field or other fields and really add a benefit to the region. Salam, really appreciate your time this morning. Thanks so much indeed for taking time to explain the situation to us. Uh, Salam is the Director General of the Mohammed bin, Rash, uh, bin Rashid Space Centre, joining us live on the line. Uh, again, thank you for your time and enjoy the weekend ahead. You too. Thank you very much. Big thanks to Salam for taking time to speak to us about what is a very promising future for many. You're listening to the UAE's number one talk radio station. This is The Agenda. On Dubai Eye 103.8. Education, education, education. That's caught your attention, hasn't it, on a Friday morning? Yeah, I know it's a feel-good Friday. And we're meant to be fueling the feel-good Friday factor at the moment. But, uh, well, education is all part and parcel of that, isn't it? You know, education, ent educate, entertain, inform. Uh, get that one right and it makes for a better life, that's for sure. But listen, this one's a debate as old as time. Are boys and girls better educated together or separately? Producer Jen is here. Jen, why are we talking about this today? Well, as you see, the
it's, the, the pros and cons of single sex girls have been back in the spotlight particularly recently and that's because of a very specific controversy essentially it is the decision by one of Australia's most historic schools Newington College to move gradually from being all boys to co-ed and it got us thinking during the week about the role single sex education might have to play still in 2024 and beyond and if you're on the school run right now that's why we do education at this time Tom it's the Friday school run is, yeah. I want to hear from you on this if you're on the school run for double zero one Tom what sort of school did you go to all boys uh, all boys Roman Catholic uh, Benedictine Abbey school so run by monks brought up by monks and I turned out <laughs> all right didn't I hey? boarding what's wrong or- with me Nothing at all, sir. Uh, Good Lord, you should see the face he's making in the studio right now. I was a boarder. You were Uh, a boarder. I went to boarding school when I was 11. Um, Obviously left when I was eight. Actually, tell a lie. No, so for the first year of... So I went to cathedral prep school in, in the city in Hereford and then, and then I moved to the boarding school, which is, well, senior school just outside Hereford. Um, I actually went for the first term... Um, I, at 11 years old, I went uh, to, to senior school, this is, I went as a day boy. Um, and after one term of day boying, I asked my mother and father if I could board, please. Because we lived about, what, 40 minutes, half an hour, 40 minutes away. So it was a bit of a slog every single day. Um, and every day I'd, I'd leave school and I'd see all my mates heading out to the cricket nets or heading out to the football fields or whatever or hanging around and doing their thing and I thought you know I want to be part of that community um this is no aside against my parents (laughs) or anything like that home life which is fine uh but yeah no I absolutely loved boarding school really yeah and I loved um being around friends and and I knew no better you know we didn't have it was a single set school it was all boys um we interacted with the uh, with females of a weekend uh, from other schools, etc. We went into town, but no, absolutely loved it. No complaints whatsoever. Couldn't sound more different to to where I went to school. I went to like the the local the local high school in a little mining town in Scotland, where mixed boys and girls. If you were cool, you wrote swear words on your back backpack with tipex. People used to like wet toilet roll and throw it into the ceiling we so it would fall well. down. <laughs> I would bet your toilets were nicer than our toilets. Oh, I'm not sure about that. You know, we're talking about Benedict Abbey School here. <laughs> I feel like it's a very different environment, probably. But I don't know. I think, I wonder how it's influenced you because I don't think I would have ever considered single sex education for my children until this conversation that I've just had. But now I'm thinking quite differently about it. Would you, did, did, your kids went to co-ed, right? All my children have been through the co-ed system, yeah. So um, here, obviously, uh, I don't think there is. is. Is there any other equivalent here? I don't think there is an all-boys or all-girls school here, is there? There are. are there? I was really surprised. I thought, oh, Certainly within no. the Emirati and the National Curricula. 
But also, if you speak to our colleagues out in the office, a lot of the the schools for Filipino kids, for Indian kids, are actually single sex. And I looked this up, and apparently as recently as 2020, the majority of senior school pupils in Dubai were in single sex institutions, which I did not realise at all. And the other day, I caught up with two experts on this topic who were visiting Dubai, Dr. Ruth Sullivan and Dr. Dominic Luckett, who are the heads of Sherborne Girls and Boys Schools, respectively, in the UK. And they said that they think single-sex education doesn't just have a role now, but could actually promote efforts towards gender equality. In cities, so for example in London, it's the overwhelming majority of schools are single-sex and that is, they've done lots of research into this. It's because lots of people do see the benefits of boys and girls being educated separately because they mature at different rates and different speeds and their brains develop differently at different stages. So you can target really and focus on the educational needs of the boys and girls separately. And in big cities, most of those schools would be day schools. So it's very easy to commute between those places. And then a lot of the co-curricular things might be accessed outside of school time. Whereas many boarding schools tend to often be co-ed. And that is also because of the kind of geographical necessity for parents to have children of both sexes at the same school. So when you look at it, single-sex education is really, really good for young people. But actually, depending on the type of school, they might say, actually, you know what, from parents' perspective, it's easy to have both children at the same school so they're not trying to run from one place to another. Dominic, tell me a bit about those benefits that Ruth mentioned that are traditionally associated with single-sex schools. Why would a parent choose to educate their boys or their girls without children of the opposite sex in the classroom? Within a little, they do learn differently, boys and girls. As, as Ruth said, they mature at different rates. You can target your teaching to the particular needs of the, the boys or the girls you've got in the class rather than trying to sort of ride two horses. One of the other things that we notice, and I know Ruth has the same at her school, is that you don't get sort of gendered activities in that we have, for example, you know, very strong musically and we have a lot of boys in the choir and there's no squeamishness about being in the choir. So we have a lot of sort of first 15 rugby players and whatever uh, singing in the choir because they're not, they're not concerned about the image they're projecting to, to the girls they might like. They're just doing the things that they enjoy. But I, I think one of the things that is really important is that I've increasingly come to think of single sex and co-ed as not being a sort of binary thing, but more of a, a spectrum. So I think the, the, the range of activities that, that boys and girls do is increasingly you know, increasing commonality. But you wouldn't, for example, put boys and girls training together for, for rugby. So I don't, it's not quite binary. And I... My big caveat with all of this is that if you have, especially young men, but I think young men, young women, growing up in their formative years without having meaningful contact with the opposite sex, that is really unhelpful. And by meaningful contact, I don't just mean a a social on a Saturday night. I mean, doing things productively together, whether it's academic enrichment or um, music or drama or... Uh, charity activities or we do a lot of sports together at at our two schools and that's the way that that boys and girls 
get to know each other in a more sort of organic way than they will just through a social, but also crucially, they develop huge amounts of respect for each other. I'm going to pick up on something you said there that I find really interesting because from a personal perspective, and I'm not coming at this from any experience, but I have never liked the idea of single sex education. I have a boy. I've always thought of it as being perhaps not the healthiest thing for him to grow up as you say, without those meaningful relationships with girls in his classroom. But you make a really interesting point there where you say that it's almost less gendered. Ruth, we know that we have traditionally issues with girls doing perhaps fewer STEM subjects, for example. Do you find that a single-sex educational environment like yours encourages girls to take on more of those subjects that traditionally they might have shied away from in a co-ed environment? Absolutely. And just like Dominic, I've also worked in quite a few co-ed environments. And one of the really wonderful things about what we can offer is that in a single sex education, all of the money that we spend is on the girls and equally down the road. Everything is spent on the boys. So the girls can develop their confidence and without the feeling of any kind of stereotypical gendered subject choices. So I've worked in co-ed schools where 30 children might choose economics, of whom one is a girl. Whereas with us, everybody who does economics is a girl. Maths is our second most popular A-level at the moment. We've got over 30 girls of a year group of about 90 to 100 choosing maths in both the lower sixth and the upper sixth. Physics, chemistry, biology are just as popular as perhaps some of the the humanity subjects as well. And I know that that's very, very similar um, down the road at the boys' school where art can be celebrated. You know, I say to so many of the pupils, it's wonderful. Having worked in co-ed environments, it's not cool for boys to be in the choir after a certain age and they become quite aware of that very self-aware that maybe it's not called to be singing but it is called to be in the first 15 rugby whereas the girls with us appreciate that actually it's just as cool down the road to be in the first 15 rugby as it is to be in the choir and it's really celebrated so we love the fact that the girls and the boys can actually develop become themselves and become proud of who they are Dominic, what do you see on the flip side of that? Is that the case, that the boys that you are working with are perhaps engaging in the arts, the humanities, more in your school than they might do in a co-ed environment? Yeah, I think absolutely. We're, yeah, maths is, is one of our biggest A-level subjects, as, as it is at um, Sherman Girls. But we have very strong languages take up in the sixth form. Um, English is a big subject for us at, at A-level. But again, those things like music, music is one of the real strengths of the school and there is no no sense that it's it's not a sort of manly thing mm. to do. And I think that whole concept of sort of masculinity is ironically less pronounced in a uh, single sex boys school than it can be in a co-ed school because it's not that you've got boys sort of jockeying for position and jockeying to impress girls. They just get on and do things they enjoy doing, which I, th- I think is really healthy. So the conversation continues here. We'll have more on this subject for you in just a few moments' time. You're listening to the UAE's number one talk radio station. This is The Agenda. On Dubai Eye 103.8. 
We are the agenda. We're talking education. The age-old debate of boys and girls better educated together or separately. Jen, you've been looking into this? I have. Now, we started looking into this on the back of a very specific controversy. That is protest that we've been seeing in Australia on the back of Newington College. That's a historic school there. It's moving from all boys to co-ed. But that came at the same time as we had two experts on the single-sex versus co-ed debate visiting Dubai. Dr Ruth Sullivan and Dr Dominic Luckett are the heads of Sherburne Girls and Boys Schools respectively. They were in town last week and they were chatting to me about how they believe single-sex education can actually help promote efforts towards gender equality. I see actually more empowered young women coming through a single-sex educational setting than I might have seen previously in co-educational environments where they don't feel they're given that initial space to be able to speak and challenge things with confidence. So what we are able to do is give the girls that space to speak out. We can celebrate everything in assemblies. It's cool to be clever. It's cool to be musical. It's cool to be sporty. It's cool to just try. We give them that confidence, but we do so many things with Sherborne School so that, yes, they might not be in a maths lesson together, but they might be in maths society, maths club, after-school activities. So it's not as if they only come together once a week, but all it is saying is that we're allowing them in the classroom to be able to develop and be stretched and challenged in an appropriate way for them at their age and stage of development. So I would turn that around and say, actually, I think what we're able to do is empower girls and the boys far more that they develop that confidence within a single sex environment. And then we allow them to actually develop the ability to interact in a respectful and meaningful way so that when they go on to life beyond school, whether that's university, straight into business, whatever, they have that quiet confidence without arrogance to be able to actively listen as well as participate and ask questions. I can absolutely see how for girls being in a room where they are not told that they are sort of secondary is very beneficial. Dominic, how does that work from the other direction where boys who are going into what perhaps have been male-dominated environments in the future do not come to see the world as being a male-dominated world? The most powerful thing about the way our schools work together is that the boys do see how good the girls are at so many things and yeah all all boys and girls have different aptitudes but when the boys see some of the girls being really rather better than they are at this stuff and it goes (laughs) across the whole sort of range of the the things we do together that breeds a respect and the one thing that young men need above all when they go out into into university and into into the workplace and just in their social lives beyond school They've got to treat women respectfully. Got to have respect for their abilities. They've got to have respect for who they are as people. So we get the advantages of of single sex, particularly the academic advantages. But we also allow boys and encourage boys to spend that meaningful time doing meaningful things with girls and recognising that the girls are every bit as talented, capable every bit as possessed of leadership potential and, and all the other things you'd want in a young person, as are the boys. And if I can just go back to one of the points you mentioned earlier about the participation in things, it's it's also, I would say that both schools, yes, the choir is phenomenal, but also in single-sex schools, continued participation in sport can often be much, much higher than in 
co-ed schools. So we expect and we have virtually all of the girls continuing with sport and representing the school in whichever sport they, they particularly enjoy all the way through to upper six to year 13 and developing that real love of sport and that's really healthy you know exercise physical activity for life beyond school as well and for us that's very very important that we say it's not just about the competitive element it's about you as young women or young men appreciating why you know find something you enjoy whether it's tennis badminton swimming hockey lacrosse it doesn't matter find something that you can really engage with and we will support you continuing that all the way through to the end of your kind of school time. Uh, That's the thoughts of the good doctors, Dr Ruth Sullivan and Dr Dominic Luckett, who are the heads of Sherburn Girls and Boys respectively, uh, who were in town recently talking about the pros and the cons. Uh, of um, education uh, in terms of whether you should be co-ed or, of course, single-sex education. Go to an all-boys, all-girls, or go co-ed. That is a debate that will continue to rage. This is The Agenda. It's the agenda live on Dubai I want a 3.8 FM. It's a Friday afternoon. Now, thankfully, one thing about Fridays is that the roads are a little bit quieter. Uh, not quite quiet, but a little bit quieter than the hectic roads that we've been seeing in recent times here uh, across the UAE, but specifically here in Dubai. Time for us to turn our attention to one of our city's biggest conversation starters, the roads. And I wonder, what would you say is the most dangerous misbehaviour we see on our highways and byways? Do you think speeding? What about tailgating? Is that one of your uh, big bugbears? Well, you know what? Much as many would suggest that, you'd be wrong. Why? New study by the Road Safety UAE and al Insurance. Using data from the Ministry of Interior has named distracted driving as the number one most dangerous practice on the UAE's roads, leading to 25% of all fatalities on the country's roads. Figures for 2023 were expected later this month. But the most recent figures, they show that distractions or distracted driving caused 85 fatal incidents in 2022, with mobile phone use behind the wheel the most commonly noted distraction. To find out more, join now on Teams by the founder and the managing director of Road Safety UAE. It is a good afternoon and a feel-good Friday to Thomas Edelman. Lovely to see you, Thomas. Mm, good afternoon, Tom. Lovely. Thanks for having me. No, great to have you on board, and thanks so much indeed for your time. And we'll get on uh, to these figures straight away. Um, listen, silly question from me, but you'll forgive me that, uh, Thomas. I mean, somebody who's been so uh, involved, invested into the management of the road system here, and more specifically the safety of the road system here, did you find any of these latest figures, any of this latest data surprising? Not really, unfortunately. I mean, we have been running uh, behavior research studies over the years. We have done a very similar one um, about uh, seven, eight years ago. And uh, it's a it's a repetitive pattern. And also when we just open our eyes and we look left and right, what other motorists around us are doing, what pedestrians are doing, what people on the e-scooters are doing, like everybody's glued to their phone. So it's not really a big surprise that um, uh, the use of mobile phone uh, comes on top. But it's about, you know, again, raising awareness for it. It's about, um, you know, 
talking to people about it, involving the media, involving the stakeholders, uh, and finally do something. It might not be the first time that we hear about it. It's uh, very uh, similar in other countries. It's a, a global phenomenon. But it's really high time that we, first of all, reflect on the data. And these are new data. These are updated uh, information. And then do something with the data. Let's try and quantify what distraction is, because, again, it's one of those terms that is pretty wide ranging and all encompassing about what does distraction mean to you, Thomas? Yeah. Well, basically, we have four types of distraction. So one is the manual distraction. So we take our hands off the steering wheel. The other one is the visual distraction. So we basically take our eyes off the road. The other one is the auditory distraction. So we don't hear what's going on around us. Somebody's honking at us or we, there's a siren. So we just, we just uh, don't, don't hear that. Um, and then a very important one there is the distraction of the mind. So this means we are not really paying attention to what's happening. We are just wandering off and we are thinking about something totally different. So these are basically the four types of distraction. Now, when you think about when we use the mobile phone in the car, this is super dangerous because it combines all these four forms of distraction. So we touch the phone, our, our mind wanders off, um, uh, we don't hear what's, what's happening around us. So basically, it's all the four forms of distraction uh, come together when we use the mobile phone. And this makes it so dangerous. Uh, in terms of the... <sighs> What can be done about this as well? And I know that you are a man who deals with solutions. Yeah, it's all good and well addressing the issues out there. How do we stop drivers being distracted? How do we get it into their heads that what they're doing, uh, and you, that you've been there as much as I've been there, all of us out there on the roads have seen somebody. We know when somebody's distracted. We know when somebody's um, uh, on their phone, etc., because they slow down. They slow uh, in a fast lane, etc. They are distracted from what is in front of them in the road. But how do we stop that practice? I mean, first of all, and this is um, when it comes to road safety, always the most important one, it is education. Yeah. So we have to raise awareness and we have to help people to reflect. The people say, ah, yeah, you know what, you're, you're right. I'm, I'm really out of habit. I'm, I'm using the mobile phone and, and, and I do it. And you know what, actually thinking about that and listening to Tom, uh, both of the Toms, Thomas and Tom, <laughs> yeah, it's about, it's about, hey, this is dangerous. Yeah, so uh, it's dangerous for me. It's dangerous for my fellow passengers. It's dangerous for my fellow road users around me. So you know what? I should really stop that. But what, what, what to do? There, there's a very, very simple cure. And the cure is uh, just put your mobile phone on silent or switch it off and put it away. You know, I do it myself. And it's a super simple remedy because we're all tempted. Yeah? This thingy starts to ring yeah? or there is a message coming. We're tempted. So just put it on silent and put it away. So this is basically from a content standpoint what we want. We want to really help people reflect. And then the second uh, thing, and this is also mentioned in the press release, you know, I was reflecting in the last couple of days, we heard fantastic results from many big operations in the UAE and also from the mobile phone operators. Yeah, so they are fantastic doing super jobs and, and sitting on revenues and, and profits of billions of dollars and billions of dirhams. And I was just wondering, you know, this topic of CSR, of corporate social responsibility, it would fit so well to mobile phone operators. 
and to their ecosystem, to, to handheld device producers, to handheld brands. And it would be our dream that we could kind of team up with this ecosystem uh, to put something in place together. Because, yes, I mean, now we are on air. ARN, Dubai Eye, they are a super, super strong advocate for road safety. Uh, the governmental entities like RTA, police, ITC, Nabuda, the Ministry of Interior, they are all doing a lot what can be done. But the missing link a little bit is the gorillas. Because we need to think about telecom operators and, and the mobile phone brands. They have a fantastic reach. Like my mobile phone, for example, whenever I'm in a car, the mobile phone prompts me and says, ah, you're driving. Mm. Um, I'm not sure if you have the same, but so there's the element of technology that can come in because the question was, what can we do? Yes, it's about raising awareness. It's about teaming up um, with strong players to really create a strong message that's uh, getting heard. And then the element of technology. So how can our mobile phones help us? How can maybe um, mobile phone operators have a technical solution to help us um, to not use the mobile phone when they're behind the wheel? I, 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 I hate to sound like a stuck record here on this one, Thomas, but you know, you and I have been having these conversations for many, many years, and that's an indication of how long the problems have been going on for. Um, I know, and I can vividly remember a conversation we had about children being strapped into cars um, uh, and the new laws that came into place for that many, many years ago. And yet, you and I both still see people, still see children behaving badly uh, and roaming around cars again. Is the message getting across? And if it's not in this case, because, again, that's listed in the latest data, what more can be done? Yeah, Yeah, spot on, Tom. I mean, it is about, you know, yes, we have to continue the momentum for awareness creation. Uh, And and we are super grateful for the support we get from ARN, uh, from Dubai Eye in particular, but from all the media. Um, So it is about... uh, raising awareness and helping people to reflect, ah, yeah, yes, I mean, no, I have a child, you know, um, yes, it is the law, I still don't have a child seat, it's high time, because again, the media talks about it, again, you know, the, the public opinion is such that, yes, we want to uh, obey to the laws, we want to have a child seat in our car. So it is really about about um, doing more of the same, if you want, to continue um, increasing awareness, but also always go for disruptive angles, for, for unexpected angles. So this is the reason what I mentioned before, to team up with telecom providers and with, with handheld brands. It would be great to come a little bit from, an, from a disruptive angle. Um, we have been working a lot with testimonials like Wasim Akram, a world-famous cricket player. Yeah. He lent his voice to um, to the cause of road safety. And suddenly certain demographic audiences, they listened because it was not coming from Thomas because who is Thomas? I don't know, but it's coming from Wasim Akram. And right now we are exploring this route with um, with a couple of our partners, um, testimonials. Uh, so if the highest authorities in this country um, would also rally up behind the cause of road safety and in particular child safety. Now, this would just be fantastic. Thomas, we could talk about this for hours. We have in the past, but unfortunately we're out of time. Listen, if there's one final little uh, very quick piece of advice that you can give to drivers in the UAE going into what is going to be a very busy weekend, uh, last weekend ahead of Ramadan, a lot of people will be out and about. What's that advice? Be good to yourself and be good to others. Uh, Show a caring attitude towards yourself and to everybody around you. 
Thomas, you're a good man. Really appreciate your time. Have yourself a lovely weekend, my friend, and we will catch up again very, very soon. Thomas Edelman is the founder and the managing director of Road Safety UAE. Uh, Their latest data is out. It is being poured over at the the moment as well. Uh, It doesn't paint a great picture with regards to distraction on our roads and other issues, but uh, maybe we can make a bit of a difference this weekend. 